Sales Tuners, Episode 72, Trong Nguyen, Regional Services Manager at ServiceNow. I understand that's not how we do it today, but if the customer actually has a really, really valid point and it actually makes a lot of logical sense, why don't we change the way we do it? This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Sooner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Andre Gid, who said, man cannot discover new oceans unless he has the courage to lose sight of the shore. Today, I'm joined by Chong Nguyen, a guy who has done more $100 million deals than I've done $1 million deals. Having closed these monster accounts for globally known brands like IBM, Dell, and Microsoft, Chong actually wrote a book about his journey entitled Winning the Cloud. Today, he carries a bag for ServiceNow, an IT services management platform. Before we dive in, I want to call your attention to the 2018 Sales Roadmap, a workbook we've put together again this year to help you align your goals with your daily activities. If you haven't already put pen to paper with what you plan to accomplish this year, hit pause now and go to salestuners.com roadmap. It's a free downloadable workbook, emphasis on work, that will help you make 2018 the best year you've ever had in sales. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 72. But now let's get to the conversation where Trong talks about the motivation he gets from people telling him things are impossible. I got to tell you, I get really, really jazzed up and turned on when people tell me something can't be done uh, or it's just impossible. When I hear those words, I'm all in. Now, Trong, in this show, as you know, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. So talk to me about your sales process today. What is ServiceNow, and why does a typical customer buy from you? ServiceNow is an IT service management company. Uh, We are born in the cloud. We've got applications in uh, customer service, in HR, in security operations. Enterprises usually look to ServiceNow to really streamline their operations Uh, behind the scenes and make them more efficient. You haven't always been this enterprise level, $100 million deal slaying uh, dragon of of a sales rep. Take me way back. How did you actually even get into sales? I was so, so fortunate. Uh, so when I graduated from undergrad at Western University, um, Digital Equipment at the time, um, Digital Equipment Corporation, they went out to all of the top universities and they recruited the top of the um, folks uh, in different fields to be a part of their kind of new hire training class. And then they put us through six months of training. Uh, And then when you were done, uh, you could actually choose the area that you wanted to go into, whether that be sales, marketing, operations, finance, it didn't matter. And I kind of chose to be uh, to go into sales because I loved it. And I got the fortune to be mentored under one of the best sales reps I've ever met. So uh, that's how I got into it. Well, I know, you know, in your book, reading it, mentorship is a huge deal for you and having to get that person or the ability to get that person early in your career, I know must have been uh, critical for you. But when you think about those early days, Trong, what were some of those initial things that you had to overcome just to get your career rolling? 
it was really about just being in front of people, meeting people and being comfortable and talking to them in different uh, situations, in professional situations, uh, you know, at the bar in social situations, having the confidence to actually uh, do presentations. As that was huge back in the day where, you know, you were expected to be able to stand up, give 20, 30 minute presentations, product demonstrations to your customers, to your peers. And uh, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't always the best public speaker. So I actually sought out uh, public speaking uh, courses and I just got uh, a lot better at it through Toastmasters as well. So that's something I would highly encourage uh, new reps up and coming uh, if they wanted to kind of get over their fear of public speaking. So this really is something that you truly have just been putting in the work since day one. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I've always kind of viewed sales as a craft and an art. And, you know, to be a true artist of any type of activity, whether that be sports, uh, social entertainment, you have to put in the time and the effort to make yourself better. Chong, it feels to me like a lot of uh, reps today, I, I don't want to generalize say a lot of reps, but many reps that I have uh, come in contact with, they think that they literally can just show up and just do the work and just run the sales call. But I know it's not the case, but what are, what are they missing in to become great at being a salespeople? I think the best reps, and, and you know who they are, and they all actually prepare the same way. There's so much research and background and preparation that goes behind the scenes. So in an hour call, you might actually do like 10 hours of prep behind the scenes, whether that be going through uh, online documentation, their annual reports, uh, networking, talking to uh, other customers, talking to your peers, just getting background data so that you can actually make the call meaningful for the customer. Because if, if it's not meaningful, that might be your first call and last call to that customer. That's so true on that. So I want to understand this, you know, I, you developing deep relationships for you is kind of like your forte, but you're doing this at a scale that many can't even comprehend. I alluded to the concept of you've done more $100 million deals than I've done $1 million deals. But how do you even get started with the size of companies that you call on? I take it back to just basics, Jim. Um, you know, when, when I think when you think about these C-level executives, whether they be CIOs, CEOs, uh, uh, CMOs of companies, relationships are relationships, right? It always starts with a baseline of trust and credibility. So I always go into these meetings um, fully prepared uh, to be able to kind of add value to uh, those executives. Uh, and that's how I kind of build that baseline of credibility. And basically, over time, what you do is you earn trust. Uh, you do the things that you tell them you're going to go do. When you look at businesses, they're really concerned only about a couple of things. One is increasing their revenue or reducing their operational costs. And if you can show these executives how you can do help them one or the other or both, that's how you start to build that credibility and trust over time. Well, that makes sense once you're in the seat sitting in front of them. But how do you even break down the door to get to have that conversation? I'll give you a, a real life example. When you get to the top level executives, there are so many steps uh, before you even get there. Basically, what I do is I meet at the lower levels. Uh, I get all of the the data around their business, their concerns, their um, the things that they're looking after. Uh, and then I kind of parlay that into the next level of meetings with the directors in terms of, hey, you know, here's what I've heard from your people. Uh, here's my perspective or here's where I might think differently in terms of helping your people. 
right? And then you can, you give those nuggets up to the directors and then you do the exact same thing uh, up to the VP level and then after that up to the CXO level. And I think where the big difference here is that a lot of these big, big enterprises, they're so siloed that they actually don't talk to each other. So when you can go wide, across a lot of different divisions and do those things. And by the time you actually have that conversation with that uh, VP or that uh, CXO, you know, realistically, they probably haven't heard this before uh, just because it's been filtered so much by the time it's gotten up to them. And you've talked through all of these other divisions, which they don't necessarily get a chance to talk to, or they might not get access to that uh, level of data because the other person won't share it with them. Now you're bringing them a tremendous amount of value to them. This makes complete sense. It makes me think about one of the largest deals that I ever did. I sold to Sears uh, probably, gosh, what's it been, five, six years ago now. But I was so nervous originally to call the different departments inside the organization. But what you said, Trung, is completely true. I found it to be completely true. They don't talk to each other. They don't care about each other. In fact, when I was able to kind of like bridge that communication gap, that's what's accelerated our deal in actually getting done. But I was just so petrified because I thought if I say something wrong inside of another department, another org inside the company, I'm going to kill my deal. And it just wasn't the case. So talk to me about this concept of the filtering up, right? So one of the things in, in your book that I read, it said, be honest with senior executives because they often don't hear what they need, both from their team as well as the others throughout the organization. Talk to me more about that. How, how do we do that? It actually just takes a, a bit of internal fortitude. What I've seen with a lot of sales reps is that, you know, um, they're okay to kind of say nice things, good things, uh, but they get really gun shy and nervous to kind of um, say negative things to their customers. So that's actually completely true internally within your customers, right? So if you picture at the lower levels, the uh, and then up to the middle management, they really don't want to bring problems or issues up to their bosses. And so what they do is they kind of um, sugarcoat it. So, you know, it, it might start out as black, but I guarantee you by the time it comes up to the CXO, it's actually white because it's been filtered so many times. You're talking about four or five, six different levels of filtering before it gets to the top level executive. What I end up doing is I, as I'm talking uh, deep and wide, uh, I figure out what the real issues are within the company. And when I sit down with the CXO, I'll just be very, very candid with them. And I'll tell them, hey, listen, Jim, uh, and you're the executive, the CXO. Jim, I, I want to just caveat by saying this is none of my business. But, you know, what you should potentially do is just look into it, right? And, you know, if you look into it and you figure it out it's true, then you're that much further ahead. And then I give them the handful of issues that I've seen. Most of the time, this is actually the first or maybe the second time they've heard it. And now they've had a, a source of validation. And so they go double check on it. And when they do and they find out that you're actually completely right, that's when you get true credibility and become a trusted advisor to them. Give me an example of what you're talking about there. And you're saying in the first meeting with the, with the C-level executive, this is the stuff that you're telling them? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll give you a, a real life example. Um, I met with the, the CFO uh, at a, a major global enterprise one time. And this is the first time I've met them, right? I did a lot of research ahead of time. I probably spent a good month uh, doing background research and whatnot. And by the time uh, I got to him, I said, I think you have a major issue. And he looks at me, he goes, what's that? 
And I said, your mergers and acquisition strategy is all messed up. And he goes, what do you mean? And I could see the confusion in his face because, you know, here's a high-tech sales rep telling the CFO of a major company that his mergers and acquisition strategy is all messed up. And so I said, well, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I, I, I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> wait a minute, who are you to come in here and tell me that? Exactly. Right. And so I said, so here's, here's how you do today. You go buy a company and then you integrate the ledgers. The, so the financial statements, so that's all good. But then you let the company go run on its own for the next kind of two, three years or so. And then you integrate the rest of the company into your company. And so what ends up happening is by the, by the time you actually go to that company three years later and say, hey, listen, now you actually have to merge into all of our uh, processes, our operations, everything. They, lo they look at you and go, wait a minute, we've been a part of your company for the last three years. What are you talking about? And then they spend the next year fighting you around that whole issue. And then, you know, then you win the fight. And then it takes you another year to actually integrate them. So by now you've actually wasted five years of integrations. If you'd actually done that up front, when you integrate their operations with yours, uh, as well as uh, your uh, the financial statements, then you'd be that much further ahead. And here's how we could help you go do that. And so by the time I finished that, he kind of fell off his chair and said, oh my God, can we meet on a monthly basis? No kidding. Just, I mean, again, again and, and I, I hope and I know that you don't take offense when I'm saying this, but like, you're just a sales rep. And you've got the executive saying, I want to meet with you on a monthly basis. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've had that. And you've got to deliver, you've got to have the conviction to be able to kind of do that and deliver that message. And I know that a lot of sales reps just uh, are just afraid to. They've never done it before. I've done it so many times in my career. And so I've just kind of gotten used to it. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just a muscle you have to build up over time. Well, look, I'm thinking about it this way. I'm, I'm a money guy. And if I'm thinking about a $100 million deal, even at a 1% commission rate, that's a whole bunch of money. So I'll take the time to do whatever it takes to get that done. But talk to me about time, Trong. Like what kind of deal sales cycle are we talking about with some of these deals that you've done? They've taken me anywhere from 12 to 24 months to go do. It, like it is really, really hard, Jim. Like these deals, they're so complex. They take so many decision makers to get... Uh, uh, and uh, committees to say yes, uh, that we, we, we've gone through so many kind of regulations and stuff that we had to kind of get through. It, it's a long, long process. It's not a hit and run, like, you know, a few months and you're in and out. I want to talk about regulation and whatnot here in a little bit, but what are you doing for 12 to, to 24 months? And, and, and how do you, I, I'm sure you have a great base salary that keeps you propped up, but you know, how many of these deals do you have actively going at any given time? I probably take a portfolio approach because, you know, you, you actually have to kind of in sales uh, do the short term with the long term. Sure. So in the short in the short term, I've got, you know, a handful of smaller deals that kind of float me through um, a good part of the year. And then I only have maybe one or two deals max that are this big that span over the two next two years. I mean, I, I, I take a very programmatic approach to sales, Jim where at the beginning of the year, as we're doing our planning, uh, and you can ask anyone who's ever worked with me, for me, I sit everyone down as we're doing our planning, and I say, hey guys, here's our roadmap for the next three to five years. And here are our one or two or three priorities, and that's all we're gonna focus in on, right? Because it takes that long to go close one of these deals. 
And everyone knows it at the beginning and everyone kind of marches to that uh, drum. When you say your team, what kind of team are we talking about? It was very, very similar to uh, at all three companies I've been at, at um, Microsoft, at Dell and IBM. I mean, we're talking about a big team of sales, marketing operations, inside sales reps, uh, customer service, success uh, service folks as well. So anywhere from 20 to 40 people on the team. And so when you're talking 20 to 40 people, each of them are assigned roles, assigned responsibilities for what they have to do inside the the target accounts that you're going after. But for 12 to 24 months, how are you quarterbacking all of that? What are you, how do you do those one, two, three initiatives that you're talking about? Some of it is internal and some of it is actually kind of external as well. Uh, because, you know, when you're working with these big teams, you kind of have to keep them motivated, right? Because everyone uh, gets paid uh, on the deals. They need to be motivated, even though it's a, a long sales cycle. So I make sure I run um, our internal calls uh, with the team every week uh, as a big team. And then I have uh, one-on-ones with the individuals as well, just to make sure that they're going down the right path. And, and then along the way, on a uh, a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis, I actually have our customers come in and talk to the teams. Uh, I'll do interviews with the, the customers. In this way, they feel that you know they're connected to the customer. They have a vested interest, and the things that they're doing will make a, an impact, make a difference uh, into pulling in the deals. So I, I do a bit of yin and yang at the same time. I understand too, Trung, that you've actually, and we talked about this already a little bit, but you've actually changed uh, healthcare and financial services regulations in order to win deals at Microsoft. Talk to me a little bit about that. It was very, very hard. Uh, when I was at Microsoft, we were trying to get uh, one of the first uh, healthcare providers uh, into uh, the cloud. And so as a part of that, you know, they actually had to uh, uh, do a business associates agreement with Microsoft. And we just spent, God, a, a long, long time. And I can't bear, but a very long time and kind of working with the customer to make sure that, you know, these regulations um, these agreements and terms that we're providing them uh, will meet their uh, uh, guidelines and then will meet the the government's guidelines as well. And uh, I did the similar thing on the financial services side as well. So it's, it's deals like that. I mean, you truly do have to celebrate every little individual win all along the way because it's going to be a while before you get the big deal and finally across the table. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a long time in coming. Another thing that I read uh, in your book, Trong, is this con- concept that a lot of sales reps, especially new ones, have an overinflated sense of self. Uh, and you said the sooner you get over that, the better. But talk to me about that. How is do, how do we actually find that reflection to be able to get over it? I think a, a lot of that, Jim, uh, just I think just comes with maturity. Like I know, God, I, I hate to admit this on the air, but I was exactly like that uh, in my younger days. Just arrogant as heck, um, you know, so full of myself that I can kind of do anything, go anywhere. Uh, climb any mountain. And, you know, somewhere along the, the way, you start losing some deals here and there. Life kicks you in the butt a little bit. And and then you, you, you get your dose of humility. And the faster I say you get that dose of humility, I think the better, because it actually makes you a much, much better sales rep. Uh, it, it gives you a lot more empathy. Humility gives you empathy. I, I could not agree more with this. You know, um, here I'm talking about, you know, your hundred million dollar deals. I was ecstatic the first time I signed a two comma uh, deal because the commission on that was just fantastic. But 
you know, in, in the small successes that I've had compared to you, I had the same ego. I thought, you know, I am great. I am the best salesperson in the world. No one can touch me. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to see that, I raised a million dollars in venture capital for another company and completely ran that company to the ground. And it was that uh, humility that I had to to get at that point it has made me who I am today. And I wish that I could have gotten earlier. I hate the fact that I had to go through a million dollar loss to get there, but my goodness, you're right. And then being able to have real empathy for, for not just my buyers, but for just other people in general, all of a sudden, like it opened up a new world to me. Can't agree with you more. You also mentioned uh, the the challenger sale. And I know that was like the hot book a few years ago. There, there's some challenges to it that I, that I don't know that I agree with anymore. But one of the things that I liked about what you said is not only do you need to be willing to challenge your customer and bring things up, but you also have to be willing to challenge yourself and your internal leadership. Can you talk more about that? It was kind of funny when we were doing this uh, this cloud deal with the financial services institution, um, you know, clearly they wanted to kind of move to the cloud. Uh, we wanted them to move to the cloud. And when I sat down with them and they kind of gave me feedback and they said, hey, you know, we think you guys could actually do this a bit differently or this how we would recommend you do it. As I sat down and kind of took down the list of things they recommended, I thought, oh, my God, you know these guys make so much sense, right? Like I've, I've got to bring it back. And, and then when I brought it back to my management team, they're like, no, that's not how we do it. Mm. Or no, you know, that's just not the way we, we do it. And then you start to question that and go, okay, well, I understand that's not how we do it today. But if the customer actually has a really, really valid point and it actually makes a lot of logical sense, why don't we change the way we do it? And so I started escalating some of that up uh, the chain. And, you know, you get high enough, uh, you can actually impact and affect that change. But you really, really have to question um, your management team up to do that. And if you didn't and you just kind of took it at face value to go, hey, you know, that's just how we do it, then you're, you're doing your customers and you're doing yourself a huge disservice. Well, I agree with you. I have to ask, I mean, how do you do that without, you know, having fear of losing your job or being completely out of the conversation? Like that just seems scary. You know, it was very, very scary. Uh, and ultimately how I kind of got it done, and I think it may be different in, uh, in every company, but you have to find the people who could actually impact and affect that change. So somewhere in your organization, some VP, some SVP controls the decision-making around why things are the way they are. And if you can actually just have a, a candid conversation with them, what I found is most of those executives are there, for re, are, are there for a reason. They're very, very smart. They're very, very capable. And if you can help them kind of think through this uh, and do it in a better way, they're open to listening. And so that, that's what I got through at Microsoft. And I'm very, very thankful for that. That's interesting. I think one of the challenges I may have is, you know, I spend most of my time with startups and for all intents and purposes, I mean, a lot of startup leaders feel like they are or believe they are the smartest person in the room. And so you start challenging the things that, that they put in place and it can be a scary, a scary place. Oh, for sure. For sure. Thinking about these long uh, deal cycles. And, and I know you talked about having the, the the shorter deals that kind of feed you throughout the year, but how do you sustain that high growth, high performance mindset for so long without getting burnt out? I probably do a, a handful of things um, that kind of just kind of keep my balance and sanity because it's such a, a long sales cycle. 
Uh, one is, you know, I um, I like to read a lot, so I'll kind of uh, read a bunch of things and just be reflective uh, and thoughtful about it. Uh, two is um, I work out a lot, and so I find just physical exercise helps me clear my mind and kind of think things through the right way, and then just spending time with the family. So I find, you know, that balance helps me kind of uh, energize myself to kind of continue to fight uh every day. You know, a, a good friend of mine, uh, one time I was kind of down uh, in the valleys of uh, despair and uh, I was bummed out and I talked to him and he said, Trong, listen, here's what you do. I know you're down and out. I know you've been at this uh, sales cycle for a long time, but you know what? Just throw stuff against the wall, see what sticks, right? And walk away from it. Next day, check it out, whatever sticks, you know, just add on to it. And so to a certain point, you do have to kind of take it one day at a time. Uh, otherwise, you'll just uh, lose your mind, you know? I, I do, but that seems very oversimplistic, like I said, dealing with just the size of uh, deals that you're working with. I'm just thinking about that the most complex deals I've done and the negotiations that went around it. And so when you kind of go through like six months of intense negotiations, any little thing, you know, could break, right? Or, or will break you or break the team. And at that point, you do have to kind of just take it one step at a time, one day at a time, and just get over uh, one hurdle at a time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. So let me take it a different direction. Like, what do you think then, Trong, is one of the biggest things that holds salespeople back from achieving their goals, any goal uh, of any size? I think it's themselves, if, I, if I'm thoughtful about it. I had a feeling that's where you were going to go, but but continue. So, I mean, a lot, a lot of the sales reps that I've met, right, that that don't achieve that greatness or uh, or that level of success that they should, you know, they're always the first ones to tell themselves that, hey, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't be the expert in cloud. Well, why can't you be the expert in cloud, right? Why can't you learn some of this stuff over time and then become the expert? But they're always putting those hurdles on themselves that they can't do this, they can't do that. Um, you know, I can't go meet that executive. I can't go meet that customer. Well, why can't you? As soon as they can stop saying no to themselves, I, I think they open the door to actually just a lot bigger things. Well, speaking of being uh, an expert here, Trong, I'm holding your book and looking at it right now, Winning the Cloud, Sales Stories and Advice from My Days at Microsoft. What, what caused you to actually put together these thoughts and write a book about uh, your sales experience? I've always kind of uh, wanted to write a book. So this is one of those things on my bucket list. And uh, two was I have been so fortunate that I met some amazing folks uh, at Microsoft and I had some amazing adventures at Microsoft. Uh, and so I thought, you know what, it'd be pretty cool to try to share some of this out with some people. And uh, if they like it, uh, all the better. So that's why I wrote it. Now, did you have to get any kind of releases or anything like that uh, with, within writing this? Uh, no, because a lot of that stuff was actually just my uh, personal stories um, from Microsoft. So uh, I think that was all uh, kind of fair game. As long as I kind of didn't reveal any trade secrets or anything like that, then uh, I was fine. Chong, I got to take a quick break so that we can say thank you to our sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales tuners, you don't go away there. We'll be right back. Sales tuners, I want to tell you about Costello a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales 
is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. back and it's time for the money round. Trung, are you ready for the money round? I am. Let's here, do it. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? It's my firm belief that sales is a craft, so you have to work at it every day to make yourself that much better. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? I had the fortune of following uh, uh, an amazing sales rep around for 30 days and just carry his bags. I would do the exact same thing. You learn so much from following some amazing sales reps and uh, seeing what they do on a day-to-day basis. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I hate to lose. I'm afraid of losing. Uh, I wallow in losing, so I hate it. What's a book, Trung, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? One of the best books I've read in a long time is uh, called Surviving Survival. It's the Art and Science of Resilience by Lawrence Gonzalez. And it talks about, you know, uh, how to pick yourself up uh, from near life and death experiences. You know, in sales, we lose a lot uh, more so than we win. And it's sometimes it's hard to pick ourselves up after a major loss. And this helps you kind of think through different uh, tactics and approaches on how to deal with it. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Tron's suggestion of surviving survival for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book, and there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book, and look for surviving survival. Tron, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? I'm a gypsy at heart, and I tell you, I could uh, live in a different country uh, for six months every year. And uh, that's definitely on the top of my bucket list. Uh, and I've got 20 countries to do that in. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? I said this earlier, but uh, I'm serious about it. Sales is a craft. Guys, work at it like an artist. As a craftsman, learn as much as you can and uh, hone your skills every day. I definitely recommend taking a look at Trong's book, Winning the Cloud. The personal stories will resonate with anyone who's been selling for more than a couple of years. If you want to connect with Trong, the best way to do that is on LinkedIn. But he also said if you're ever in New York, to reach out and he'd love to grab a cup of coffee. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, put in the work. Trong talked about how he views sales as a craft. As any artist or athlete knows, you have to put in the time to become great. I see too many reps today think that showing up to sales calls is all the practice they need. And I hate to tell you this, but you're not going to rise to the occasion under pressure. If you want to become truly great, you've got to put in the work when no one else is looking or expecting you to do it. Number two, get comfortable sharing challenging information. There's a song that says it's not always rainbows and butterflies. While I don't think they had sales in mind when they sang those lyrics, it definitely applies. It's easy to share positive information, but if you want an executive to actually see value in you, you've got to break the internal filter of information they get. Share what's actually going on, no matter how challenging it may be. Number three, take a portfolio approach. 
It would be nice to only spend our time working on enormous deals, but the reality is we have to balance both the long and short term. Regardless of your average contract value, make sure you identify the acceptable deals you can get done quickly and the typical deals you would expect to close, but also sprinkle in some ideal prospects that you know will take a lot longer to close. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. And they stay there. What is the difference between being alive and truly living?